podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to another edition of Wagon Wheel on Spotify Greenroom, if you're listening there, on the Red Inca podcast or YouTube or, I don't know, maybe if you're just in my room at the moment, wherever you're listening, wherever you're watching. Welcome. Just a quick shout out to Manscaped. You can get 20% off free worldwide shipping if you want to shave your balls in a safer way. Manscaped is brilliant. I could not be happier with the product. So thank you to them. Thanks to Bodyline T-shirts as well for sending me some T-shirts. And a big thank you to everyone on Patreon. Obviously, this podcast only exists because of the people who support us on Patreon. So you can go to Patreon, Jared Kimber, and you can find your level and whatever tier you want to support us on. You can get access to my writing as well, all sorts of things there, and uh, one-on-one chats and Q&As and all these sorts of things. Plus, the Patreon subscribers get to ask the first question on this chat. And today, that starts with Christopher, who says, could England have decided to have Josh Butler as World Cup, but have Morgan always be on the field and effectively captaining from the side and a different fielder just coming off for a couple of overs at a time. Uh, so he's basically wondering if there's a law to stop another player, for, uh, like a 12th man, from captaining in this particular case. It's a good question, Christopher. I, I think the bigger problem would be that after a certain point, the umpires would just send Owen Morgan off the field. Also, um, uh, you know, if, if he was making clear decisions, I think the umpires would probably go over and have a word. Whether there's a clear law on this, um, there probably is, but I can't think of any off the top of my head. But there have been quite stringent laws on 12th men over the years. Uh, you know, things like uh, in the old days they couldn't, you know, wiki keep without permission, uh, they couldn't um, field in close in positions, all these sorts of different things have existed in the cricket laws. So I would assume there's something on captaincy, but off the top of my head, I don't know that one, but uh, excellent question. Ramnath says, when Devon Conway was ignored by IPL teams during the auction this year, Simon Dill criticised IPL franchises preferring average Australian cricketers over first-rate New Zealand cricketers. Do you think there is merit in his argument that the IPL teams have an inherent bias towards picking more Australian cricketers? Yes. I mean, Ramnath, I... I think everyone at this stage probably believes that uh, one way or another. I mean, I think on a very basic level, uh, there are a lot of coaches who are Australian. And I think that is probably the most obvious reason that uh, Australian players are overvalued. Also, I think that there, it, there was a natural thing that the Big Bash was the biggest tournament around quite often when the auction was on. Uh, so I think that players who had just played very well in the days or weeks prior quite often got hyped up um, in the uh, because of the Big Bash. I think that for generations, we have been led to believe that Australian cricketers are just genetically better than non-Australian cricketers, of which we're probably finding out is not quite as true these days. Um, so I think all those biases play a part. I'm not sure that Devon Conway is an automatic, uh, you know, a, a, you know, IPL player um, anyway, although he's obviously a fantastic talent and, and probably deserves uh, to have a go. I think that the the one thing I would say is the New Zealand domestic competition is obviously a lot more limited than the Big Bash. Um, but having said that, I would say that, you know, there are other competitions around the world as good, if not better, than the Big Bash, um, and there are tons of players getting picked from that. So I do think there is a bias there, and there kind of always has been, as far as I'm aware. Um, Kumar says, I watched your exit interview um videos which are all up on youtube or all the teams that have exited at the time i'm recording this anyway um and he's asking about the one about B, uh rcb was that the home record for rcb is 50 percent, and apart from chennai and hyderabad um have recorded 50 percent record in away games how does a team overcome such an obvious disadvantage at the home pitch being a batting paradise and short boundaries well the thing is that the, if you're if you're stacking your team up uh in, in that particular and you know it's a batting paradise, you have to work out what is the best way to, to make the most of your home conditions. If you know that that is the case, and that's always been the thing about Bangalore, that they, they don't get an advantage from playing at home. But that's how you pick your team. If, you've, if your wicket is turning sideways and you're picking four seamers, you're not going to get an advantage from home. So they have to work out whether that means they need more batters. I would suggest that over the years they've tried that and that hasn't worked. And I'd say maybe the opposite is true, that they should have been going out there and investing in bowlers who were very good on flat pitches, guys with good slower balls, guys with interchangeable skills, guys who could spin it both ways, whatever that may be. Bangalore haven't done that. They still don't have a very good overseas bowler. Um, and, you know, over the years, that's been a constant problem for them. Uh, 
So if you know what what your local conditions do, you have to play to that. And that's something that it's, it's almost, I think the first thing that I do when I get involved with a franchise is look to shore up the local players. But the second thing I do is, okay, what's the pitch going to do? And if it's going to do this, how do we build an attack around this so that we don't, or a, you know, a strategy around this so we don't lose? Um, I feel like Bangalore's never done that. Uh, Ian says, uh, with English cricket agreeing with the counties to go back to two divisions for uh, 2022 and for the foreseeable future, um, how much does this seem like kicking the can down the road in terms of reforming the English structure? Um, I appreciate the argument. Oh, what's he saying here? I appreciate the argument against the conferences as Division 2 and 3 were uncompetitive. But I think a system where you crown champions after a season where you play some teams once and others, <laughs> yeah, um, I get, I get, certainly get what you're saying um, uh, there, Ian. I think that two divisions makes perfect sense for counter cricket is probably the, the short answer there. Just realized I got the wrong headphones on. And so I, I completely understand why that is the case and, and how that is happening and what they're looking at doing there. I think... The days of thinking that first-class cricket has to be completely fair um, and a proper competition on its own are probably gone. So realistically, what England should be looking at doing is maximising their international players from here on in. Um, that's not to say that people won't still go and watch county cricket because I think they will, but it's not fair. It's not an equitable system. It's really there to pick your best players for the England team. And so... Uh, if you really, if you were to play a first-class season properly, and counter season is almost the only one that does, you would have multiple divisions. Then you would have a, you know, a proper series for your final. We don't do that. The Shield doesn't do that. No one really does that. So we're not really trying to find out who the best winner, who the best team is in in any of these first-class series. Really, we're just trying to basically, you know, get through the year. It's very hard to work that those things out anyway. But it's a very interesting question. Uh, thank you to everyone on Patreon. I see that. Green Room's been glitchy, but it's been less glitchy than usual. Keshuv. Yeah, so uh, my question is, uh, can cricket have uh, the kind of point system that uh, we have seen in uh, football leagues? Like, you know, there's no final, just the team which uh, ends up on the top of the charts at the end of league stage is crowned as the winner. Can we see that? If not in World Cups, but at least maybe in you know, World Test Championship, uh, can we see that in cricket in the future? We already had that and we didn't like it. That was the system before, wasn't it? I mean, we've only had one final. For the, for the rest of the history of Test cricket, whoever's been number one since we've been talking about teams who've been number one, it's been from the most wins. No one seemed to particularly like that. So I don't think it works. I also don't think it particularly works in a sport where home advantage is so massive. I think that you should probably have to win a final in a, in a neutral space. Uh, when it comes to test cricket, certainly when it comes to ODI cricket and T20 cricket, I just don't think you'd be able to play enough games to ever ever do that. So no, uh, I, it's not for me that that particular idea. Although I can I can understand why you, you might think that. But yeah, that is the system that we used to have. Yeah, I mean, I thought uh, since you know in WTC every team is not playing everyone, uh, and uh, especially the last time the system was so flawed. You know, people were uh, literally cribbing about it, especially when India was not yet uh, in contention to play the final. So I thought maybe uh, why not just crown the winner uh, who, who ends the league stage at, at the topmost position? Yeah, but, but that is what we've always done. <laughs> we, we literally went away from that. So, so even if you, if you do your system, teams aren't going to play everyone. India's still not going to play Pakistan, are they? Right? So I can't see how that is any fairer. It's still going to be, you're still going to have, I don't know, New Zealand or South Africa or Australia um, in a, in another, you know, playing playing a bunch of teams that is easy for them to beat in one cycle. That's what the final is there for, to at least give us some sort of structure. It's not perfect, obviously. I mean, at the very least, we should probably have semifinals. And there's certainly a lot more that can be done. But I think in the short term, if nothing else, then what, what we've managed to do with, with having this sort of a system is at least take it from the biased league structure and, and giving it some finals. But we're not really finding out who the best team is. That's not really the point. And I don't think we can do that in test cricket because you'd need like a six-year cycle. Yeah, well, what do you think about the f venue for the final? I mean, last time the first one happened at Lords, and I don't know where the next one is. So is there a fair way to decide the venue? Can you reward the team 
finishing first in the league stage can can they be the host or maybe team finishing third can be the host for a neutral venue uh yeah i mean something like that i mean they're going to do it in the uk because you get a crowd in the uk for neutral tests that's why the uk gets to host so many things other places don't get crowds for those games and they look silly it's it's going to be hard for them to play a World Test Championship in a place where they're not going to have any crowds. So I would say in the short term, it will continue to be played in England unless, you know, someone else desperately wants it. Um, and from what I can tell of what I've heard, no, no, no other boards have wanted it at the moment. But yeah, I mean, what you're talking about is a proper league. We don't even have a proper league, right? So you're, you're, you're talking about, um, you know, trying to work out who the best winner is. And New Zealand and don't even play a similar amount of games than Australia, India, and England or Sri Lanka might have to play, right? It's This is not a proper league. Uh, but thank you very much for your question. Thank you. All right. Jacques, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Perfect. What's your question? My question is a hypothetical for you about associate cricket. So I'm living in the Netherlands at the moment. So I'm, I'm getting quite into associate cricket. If you were putting together an associate team, would you rather have a world-class fast bowler, so like 145 kilometers plus, or a world-class spin bowler who can bowl a higher proportion of your team's deliveries over a season or over a match? I suppose if, if you compare it to what we saw with Afghanistan, they had a high-quality 90-mile-an-hour bowler and he was barely ever fit. And, you know, obviously he was a big point of difference when they had him. But when you get to the top level, having a 90-mile-an-hour bowler is not that special. So at the associate level, it's very special. Um, but once you start to play better teams, it's not, not as much. In fact, I, I did a podcast with um, a Callum McLeod from Scotland, uh, you know, for Double Century podcast. And, and I was saying to him, how much of it is an advantage to you that, you know, when you played England in that, in that game, the famous game at the Grange that they beat England, that you're just used to 90-mile-an-hour bowlers, like, you know, in a way that associate cricketers hadn't been before. Um, so I, I don't think it's quite the same uh, punch in the face that it used to be having a 90-mile-an-hour bowler. Um, uh, although I will say this, the Netherlands did use their very quick bowlers to bounce out the UAE um, in, uh, in, in the World Cup qualifiers. Although, to be fair, that was like UAE A-team by that stage because half of them had been done for match-fixing, sadly. But, yeah, it's, it, it's a very, uh, you know, a slightly weird one on that. But... I think with a spinner, they can just bowl a higher percentage of overs, can't they? Um, I think as a general rule, you want seamers because seamers are more useful in in both conditions, in, let's say, east and west conditions. Um, and so, you know, you have a look at Ravi Dadeja. On paper, he's probably the most important player in the world. He's probably not the most important player in the world, though, when you factor in how, how average he can be sometimes when he's playing away from home. Whereas a seam bowler is always going to have moments um, even around the world other than a few wickets like um, some of the Sri Lankan wickets and the odd Indian wicket where they don't get any help. So I don't know is my answer to that. Um, it, it's a very good question. Um, I, and I suppose it also depends. If, if you're based in Asian environments, then I think the spinner would be way more important. But if you're in Ireland, you'd probably prefer to have the quick bowler, wouldn't you? Yeah, that's fair enough. I don't know. It's like, because I know the Netherlands, they did have this like super fast attack and it, I know it worked in some ways and, 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 and didn't work in others. Um, and like Rashid Khan obviously is the, is the great mm. story for this kind of thing. So that, that's mm. kind of really what got me thinking. I mean, it's interesting when you look at Netherlands and Afghanistan, and if I, I can't see anyone else coming up requesting any chat. So if anyone else is trying to request, keep going. Um, hopefully they'll eventually pop up. But it is really interesting because essentially the Netherlands can't find any spinners outside of someone like Roloff van der Merwe, who's, who's, who's a, you know, in T20 cricket's fine, but obviously in the other formats of cricket is only going to get you so far. Um, and then you've got, and then Afghanistan have basically lost their, um, their ability to find seamers after finding bunches of them. Um, and now I have this, this army of spinners. And so I wonder if there's like, it, these things just go in waves for associate cricketers at a certain point. Um, and, you know, I mean, I think Scotland's really interesting. Um, having, having Mark Watt and Hamza to here in Scotland seems like a very random thing. Um, but, uh, you know, to have two left arm finger spinners of that quality um, available to them. But on the other side of, of, of it is uh, how often can Scotland play them both at home? Um, so, 
having them is not, you know, maybe it's, it's a development issue at a certain point where they can only really play them both in the same team when they're traveling, um, which might be help, handy for them in the World Cup, but not so much in other tournaments. But a great question, mate. Thank you very much. That's not a problem. Can I ask a, a follow-up, actually, or a different sure, question? Sure, sure. What's about associate cricket? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, like, one thing that I love about the Football World Cup is, you know, you, like, have these kind of random teams a lot of the time from like countries that I've never heard of like I remember Honduras in the World Cup in, two, in 2010 and I think that the way especially the T20 World Cup is structured with this like qualifying tournament and then for a qualifying tournament and then the knockout stages really loses something and I've always thought that T20 really is the format to open up the game small, more smaller groups like kind of worse countries like mm. I think the trade-off yeah. of What's good for the game versus the drop in quality in some of in some cases is 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 worth it as a trade off. But I was wondering what what you thought about uh, that, like having an expanded World Cup with more teams. Well, it won't be a drop of quality because eventually you will get better teams from doing this, and we know this because this is why Sri Lanka is, you know, um, a, a great team, and this is why um, other teams who've come in late, like Bangladesh and Zimbabwe, have improved so much by coming in and being a major team. Ireland, Afghanistan now as well. You know, they all got their their way by essentially going through those major tournaments. That's that's where they took their big jump. So it might be a short term drop in quality, but I don't think it will be a long term drop in quality. Also, the associate teams have never been better than they are. You know, even 10 years ago, the level of associate cricket was nowhere near the strength that it is right now. I mean, to think that Nepal has a player of, you know, or two players in Paris Kadka and uh, Sandeep Lamachane of their talent, and they didn't qualify for the, for the qualifying event. Um, so they didn't qualify for the qualifying qualifying event, if that makes sense. So if you're calling what we're about to see now a qualifying event, they didn't even qualify for the event before this because they lost to Singapore, right, who basically rode about four or five really good players on the way through. So... I think that shows how much the quality of it has changed. Well, I don't care if it's one-day cricket or, or T20 cricket. As far as I'm concerned, World Cup is for the world. It is not just for the major nations. And cricket is – the reason we don't have as many major nations in cricket is because we didn't invite anyone, and we haven't gone out of our way to do that. Whether it be Ireland in America or Argentina or Denmark, we've lost out on so many quality teams throughout the history of cricket – and there's no reason to. Argentina absolutely love rugby, absolutely love football, and played cricket at a really high level. I would argue as, at least as high as the level that New Zealand did at the same time. And to lose a country like them, and, and if you go through, when you go through the, uh, you know, teams like Bangladesh, um, Zimbabwe, uh, I'm trying to think some of the others, Ireland, Scotland, Denmark used to, you know, roll a lot of those teams, right? Denmark beat an MCC team at one stage. I think that's right. Pretty sure that's right. Or if they didn't, they got very close. Um, Denmark had a really good team. We've had strong teams from Europe before. We've had strong teams from other places before, and we haven't done anything with them. So if you can use the World Cup to move that forward, um, to um, help that, then I say that is definitely something that we should be doing within cricket. Uh, and it doesn't make any sense to me. Also, it's, it's embarrassing that we are starting a World Cup in Oman uh, with a bunch of teams that aren't box office teams. I wrote this in 2016, and some of the associate teams got really angry. But the, I, I think I think the first ball was like, trying to think who the opening bowler was, but it was a Hong Kong bowler, whose name I should remember, um, opening the bowling to Hamilton Madzikadska um, from Zimbabwe. And it's like, look, I'm not having a go at those players, but that's not how you open a World Cup. You open a World Cup by, you know, Jasper Bumrah bowling to, you know, David Warner, right? You, you opened it with a bang. And there were no crowds in those games because the Indians didn't even know if the tournament had really started yet, right? It's, it's, and now we're playing it in Oman, so it's even going to be f- further away. Although I've just talked to Paul Radley for another po- podcast, and he's, he thinks that they will get good crowds, crowds in Oman, which would be great. Um, let's, let's bring them in properly. Let's work out a proper way. If we're worried that we, they're going to be bad, schedule two games a day. So there's always another game for you to be able to watch. So there's there's always one game with you know an associate in it. Maybe there's another game with without associate nations in it. Um, there's ways of doing this, and cricket hasn't hasn't come up with them yet. And uh, so we end we end up with this sort of silly system. But uh, thanks so much for your questions, mate. Thanks. All right.
I think Basker couldn't get his question up on the voice thing, but he's, he's written it through. He says, my question is regarding leg spinners and their speed. With the growing preference of fast leg spinners, case in point selecting Rahul Chahar over Yuzi Chahal, historically Kumble, Freedy, most successful ODI wicket takers, Rashid Khan is one of the best in 220s. So do you think slower leg spinners will go out of fashion or do you think they still stand a chance in tests? I think that if you can spin the ball at speed and land it where you need to, they, I can't remember what the actual speed is, but the ECB did scientific tests on spin and there is an optimal speed that spinners should bowl. And my memory is that Rashid Khan is very close to it. He might even be slightly above it. And the reason they thought that was the optimal speed is that there's a speed at which you need... I'm trying to explain this scientifically, despite the fact I'm not very scientific, but there is a speed at which the ball needs to spin a distance uh, further than it does when it's seeming or swinging that you need to be able to go. And if you bowl too fast, it doesn't spin at that speed and it ends up just skidding on. So so think, I don't know, maybe someone like Ryan Harris, for instance, or Michael Yardy. Not Ryan Harris, Chris Harris. Ryan Harris did not skid the ball on uh, as a spinner, but Chris Harris. Um, so there is an optimal speed, which is around the Rashid Khan speed. However, Matt Parkinson is tearing people apart, um, and I think we will continue. And 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 Nathan Lyon is not a quick spinner by any stretch of the imagination. So I would say that there are certainly slow spinners that are still successful. Whether I, I would assume, if if you go back and have a look on YouTube at footage of Clary Grimmett bowl, I think you'll be astounded by how slow he is. Um, just an incredibly slow bowler. Uh, so we have clearly moved on a long way from him. And, you know, I've seen little bits of footage of Aubrey Faulkner. He was a very slow leg spinner as well. I would say that we probably are just naturally getting quicker uh, as we go. Um, uh, you know, Shane Warne, I know he may not have looked like the most athletic person. Shane Warne was incredibly strong, especially through his chest and his shoulders and his arms. Uh, you know, Aussie rules football, he had that, uh, I was going to say disability when he was a child, but, you know, injury when he was a child. He got very strong. I think that spinners are probably going to get quicker um, as time goes on naturally. And, and the thing is that we know that there's sort of a natural top-end speed of spin because when Tamal Mills or Anrik Nokia bowl wrist, uh, back of the hand wrist spin, which is a, sli- a slightly slower version of normal wrist spin because it's more like a wrong end. But when those guys do that, they bowl around 105, 110 kilometers an hour. And there aren't that many people who bowl back of the hand slower or much quicker than that. So we know that even if you're moving your arm over at 150 k's an hour, when you bowl spin, it's going to come out about 105, 110. So there's probably a natural limit there unless bowlers get a lot faster. Um, but it's, it's a really interesting question. I think we'll probably see more faster spinners but I don't think that means that the slower spinners will die out as well. It just means we might see fewer of them going forward. Um, but it, but it, it's a really, really interesting topic, that one. Uh, thanks for that one, Basco. Sorry that you couldn't come through. There is a joke in cricket that we started protecting our testicles 100 years before we put on helmets. I'm not here to give you a history lesson on the cricket box and its invention, but this is a generally true statement. So that means as cricketers we are more focused on protecting our downstairs than our head. And yet when so many of us shave our balls, we do it with a crude implement made for trimming a beard. Well, Manscaped are here to make sure, like the cricket box did 100 years ago, that our balls are completely looked after. Manscaped have the Lawnmower 4.0, a stunning device that trims your pubes like a delicate late cut. Well, without the actual cutting, I suppose. And I have used this, so you're gonna have to trust me when I say this is a shockingly good piece of kit. And maybe this is for another time in the story, but a man who has injured himself down there and had to go to hospital to get to the whole area fixed. I'm glad that there's something that feels a lot safer. Huge thanks to Manscaped for making the Lawnmower 4.0 and also for giving us a discount code. So get 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code REDINCA at manscaped.com. Come on now, 20% off, free shipping, manscaped.com, REDINCA, you get it. Thanks to the ICC regulations, you can no longer use saliva on your balls, but you can use Manscaped. Some month. Hello, Jared. How you doing? What's your question, mate? I have a simple question. I'm not sure if it's worth the question, but so um, basically, uh, RCB has been pushing ABDWS as a finisher this season, mm-hmm. and I get that they need uh, Maxwell to have uh, you know uh, good runs, at, uh, score runs, and good run rate in the middle overs. But uh, in, for example, in the SRH match, Padikal backed himself to anchor the innings and finish the innings, but they couldn't trust ABDWS to 
play play out few spin overs instead of uh, while Maxwell is batting. Rather, they would prefer a Kohli or Padikkal to anchor through the innings. Uh, why wouldn't uh, do? Do you think they should rather trust ABD players to play a few overs of spin? You know, like rather than trusting on the whole anchoring thing and hoping Kohli and Padikkal would come off at the end, which they haven't been doing really since last two seasons. Yeah, I think your question's a little bit twisted because it's not like they can tell Padikkal and Kohli to go out, right? So what you're what you're kind of saying is, should they send ABDVs in sometimes before Maxwell in in certain situations? Is that right? Yeah, but also um, they could. Uh, I mean, they give clear instructions, right? How they want to play. I mean, Kohli has spoken so many times about fearless cricket. How they, uh, he has to be expressive even oh, after. Don't, yeah, don't get me started on that. I mean, uh, I've I've said this before, probably on this very podcast, that you know. So essentially, I don't know why this is, but Australia and India trying to think if there's anyone else, maybe South Africa, they just seem to tell all their batters to become anchors. The Rishabh Pant one absolutely does my head in. Why you would have a talent like Rishabh Pant and tell him to be an anchor. And, and we see it all the time. Even someone like Ashton Turner in Australia, it's like, well, just let him hit the ball for six a lot and run really hard twos. Um, that's what he's really good at. Uh, you don't need him to bat at number three and average 35 with a strike rate of 130. You can find other people who can average slightly less than that with a similar strike rate. What you can't find is someone who can average 25 coming in at number five with a strike rate of 155, which Ashton Turner can do. So that's the first bit. The whole anchor thing, Patakal and, and Coley, who both could certainly be much quicker than anchors if they wanted to be. The second part of this is that A.B. de Villiers, if he goes in earlier, will chew up balls, right? And I don't mean that in a bad way, but he will knock the ball around because he's not as suited to – I mean, he's fine with spinners, but he likes to be in for a little while before he scores with spinners. They have someone in their lineup who would literally attack from the first ball against spinners if he has to. And if anything, it's almost his speciality, although obviously once Maxwell's set, it doesn't really matter what you bowl at him other than very, very fast stuff occasionally, but generally he can smash everything out the park. So what they're doing really is maximizing their batting attack. The problem is that if Patakal and Coley are batting so slow and, and, and you could add Barrett to that, I don't think any of them have particularly high strike rates. I, I did the RCB episode the other day, but I've forgotten all the numbers, but... Um, if that's the case, then I think, you know, someone, there has to be someone else at the top. You need someone like maybe like a Rahul Tripathi at the top who's going to go in and bang the ball around or prove sure, although everyone would like a prove sure if at all possible. But you do need someone else to be able to do that, I think, at the top. Where the problem comes is I think they've got the, those two anchors who are going to, if they're going to bat all the way through the innings, which quite often they are, that means that AB Davis is going to be coming in quite often too late anyway. So you're not really maximizing um, the advantage. The other thing is that, if they're still sending in a number three, which they usually are, um, and that seems to be part of their thing, they're like, they're, again, they're limiting the amount of balls that Maxwell can face and then limiting the amount of balls that AB can face. I've got no problem with AB coming in between the eighth and twelfth over, but you can't guarantee that he will come in between those, those, those points in the game, right? And that's the, the biggest problem that we've had. And so when I was with um, St. Lucia, uh, it's a slightly different situation because I think Kyron Pollard is much better against spin. But I was like, if he's our if he's our best bat, if he bats at five or six, we're not we're, we might get he might average thirty with a you know a strike rate of one hundred and sixty. But if he bats at three and four and comes in stri- straight after the power play, we'll be able to he, he can knock the spinners around until he wants to start hitting them for sixes. Um, so I'm not saying that the RCB tactic is wrong. I just think that they probably, if they're going to do it, they can't have two guys who are going to strike it. I don't know what Padakal and, and Coley ended up with this year, but I would assume their strike rates are about 125 off the top of my head. I don't think that is the best case scenario, um, I suppose, uh, you know, when, when you have this lineup. Um, if you have someone as good as ABDV is at five, who can average 35, probably batting there, can't you afford to have slightly more firecrackery players at the top. Now, they did try Washington Sundar earlier in the year and he didn't come off. Um, I still think he's a fantastic player and I would have kept playing him. I have no, I think he, he didn't even go for runs when he was bowling that much. I don't know why he wasn't in the team at the end. But I think that, you know, someone like him or maybe a small, you know, maybe, a, you know, a different kind of pinch hitter um, if you wanted to, or a specialist batter 
and you just say to them, go in and smash it, would make more sense in that particular situation because you kind of want AB to be is the bat at 4.5, um, if that makes sense. Um, so in that, you know, you, you really you, you really only want your player to, to take up eight to ten balls um, uh, uh, in every innings, um, batting at either opening or at number three, and you want them to try and thrash them, almost a sun on the run type position. So I just think maybe they didn't get the overall tactics right there, but I've got no problems with ABDVs coming in at five. Um, I've got more of a problem with the fact that you've got guys like Coley and Patakal who can clearly whack boundaries, and they're being, I would assume they're being told not to, or have decided not to. Yeah, thank you very much. And uh, Washington Sundar was injured, I think. He was injured for the second part, but he was dropped uh, at the start of the year. Do you remember? Uh, so he was definitely dropped the first time. And, uh, yeah, but he, he has been injured um, as well. But, no, he was definitely dropped. Have a look at his batting average. I think he averaged seven. And uh, if you remember, Coley wasn't even bowling him his overs. It's bizarre. I, the treatment of Washington Zunder at uh, RCB has been bizarre. I, d I still don't think they realize what an absolute talent they have there. But uh, thank you very much for your question, mate. All right, who we got next? Devdut. Hey, Jared, before I ask my question, I just wanted to share... Uh... I listened to your podcast uh, about Caribbean cricket and absolutely loved it. So it was a great one. Thank you. Just coming to my question, I wanted to ask you about the PBL and Cricket Australia in particular and how, how yeah. every year they introduce these new rules. And I, I live in Australia right now and I see, I see a lot of footy and I don't see these weird rules in footy. Correct me if I'm wrong there. <laughs> Sorry, I was going to say, they put them in the uh, preseason tournaments in Australia, don't they? Whereas the BBL just tries them. And yeah. So correct me if I'm wrong there. Is is it like is do Australians find T20 uh, cricket boring? Is it is that why they are trying to uh, uh, kind of you know change it so much? Because I do think that there is a there is a chance uh, that some of the rules that they have introduced can be used in uh, for future T20 games, like the X factor. That is something really interesting. But what do you think about uh, this uh, in particular? Do you think uh, something like this can be? introducing uh, international cricket, uh, T20 cricket in, in future. And just about Australia, why do they keep doing it in BBL and why, why do they not keep it simple? Yeah, I'll, I'll start with Australia. I, you know, basically, in, in one-day domestic cricket, they split the innings up at one stage. I don't know if you were around when that was happening. I don't know how old you are, but um, they split the innings up because they thought that would be more exciting. So you'd have 20 overs, then the other team would have 20 overs, then you'd have 25 overs or whatever it was. That I can't even remember if it was a 50-over game still, but it was roughly a 50-over game. And it was maybe the biggest disaster I've ever seen because teams started blocking out towards the end of their 20 overs because who wants to lose a wicket before a break in cricket? Like, we're trained mentally not to do that. And I think eventually we would have got past it. But my big thinking then is the same as my big thinking now. How does that help anything? What, what were they trying to do in order to actually make more people come? Like, these changes, um, I've got no problem. If you're trying to make T20 cricket a better sport, I think you should make changes. And I think that, you know, I think we'll see, we've seen uh, rule changes in the NBA this year um, that will change the sport to make it slightly better. Uh, we've seen things like that in cricket before. But there's this whole thing that th these formats have to be continually fixed. So, well, if, if one day cricket wasn't good, why is it still around, you know, 60 years after it started. Um, and if it's not good, why are you still flogging it as an international product, right? It's clearly still working. And, and the same with T20. I, I think that, and I th I'm pretty sure Trent Woodhill was involved with this, who's obviously a friend of mine, and he was involved in the 100 as well. Uh, I, I think at a certain point that Trent is, Trent is trying to like perfect the game, and the people who are running the game are trying to find gimmicks, and they're two different things. Right, so I've got absolutely no problem with um, with changes to T Twenty cricket. I've talked about this before. I think there are plenty of things that we could do in T Twenty cricket to make it more different than one day cricket, and also to improve it as a sport. A lot of the things that they're doing are just TV gimmicks for the sake of being a TV gimmick, and I don't know if that actually ultimately improves the sport. You might fluke something. So, for instance, uh, the three point line in, in basketball is probably one of the most famous uh, ones. Well, that was a gimmick. Um, and it's gone on to, I think, probably help the game of basketball, unclog the the lane and allow more people to, um, to score in varied ways. Um, probably uh, eventually it's helped short players as well in basketball, which is quite, you know, handy. Um, 
my problem is that that's not what all these changes were. And some of them were essentially so that one team could catch up or feel like they could catch up halfway through the game. I don't, that's an artificial metric. I mean, T20 cricket is already artificially made, so we have a lot of close um, endings. Um, so I, I suppose when I look at things like that, I wonder how much the people who are involved, and I don't mean Trent so much, although Trent has his own issues with cricket, which I'm sure he'll talk about one day, but um, uh, I think a lot of the, th- the the changes that are made are people who already don't like cricket and they're changing it. And the thing is that I don't think a casual fan's going to hear about X Factor and be any more interested. I, I just think that you keep putting on a good show and you keep making sure international players are coming and you keep developing your local talent and you make small tweaks to make the sport better when you can. What the Big Bash did last year was just a bunch of gimmicks. Um, I'm, I'm not saying some of them didn't work and some of them, I mean, I'm not saying all of them didn't work. Some of them clearly did. Uh, but I've been saying for years about one day cricket, we just keep changing it over and over again, fielding restrictions and the amount of balls and, you know, all these little things. And it's just like, maybe we should just leave these sports alone and work out if we can market them better and sell them better. And, if there are different ways that we can do that. And I don't think that we do that in, in cricket enough. And instead we, we go, Oh, we'll tweak this. I, I wrote something when the big bash happened, who are these casual fans who are hearing this in the newspaper and go, now I'm going to watch now that they've brought in this really confusing thing with an X in its name. I can't wait to watch. I just, I just don't believe that those things happen when you make a fundamental change to the sport. So the sorts of things that I, I could see is, um, you have 15 players on each T20 side and you have 10 batters and five bowlers. Um, that would change the quality of the game and would change how the game fundamentally is played um, and would take it towards more of an American-style sport rather than a non-American style sport. That's also quite kind of cool. You know that every time someone is batting and bowling, the best batters are going up against the best bowlers, not facing Moses Enriquez. Uh, I hope that helps. Is that, is that what you're looking for? Yes, and just one more thing. Some as someone who's you know as some like you who's worked extensively in T Twenty cricket, what rule changes would you think are would make the game better? Like we used to talk about uh, declaring a batsman who is not by, uh, playing well, or uh, rather a batter who's not playing well. Something on those grounds. Anything that you we have can do thought that about now. for you? To be fair, yeah. you can do that now. Teams just don't do it because they're terrified. Everyone's thinking about doing it, but they're terrified of it. I think the rule change, the, the playing condition change that I just said, have 15 players, um, no more of, uh, you know, um, a minimum of five have to bowl and, a, you know, a maximum of 10 have to bat or 11 have to bat if you want, um, would be one. Another one could be what you just talked about there. Instead of making batters uh, retire out, what if we just said you can retire not out and you can just come back in later on? Um you know, that, because why they don't do it is, like, let's say you've lost three wickets and you've got a you know, opener still in and he's got a strike rate of 110. You don't want to retire him out and then have a collapse and have no batters left. Whereas if you can bring him back in later, maybe that would be less of a problem. But, you know, you might if he's tired or if he's just not hitting boundaries anymore, you might want to bring in someone with a bit more power for a couple of overs or maybe even just for a matchup. You know, maybe you have your opener out there for the power play and they really, really, and they smash the ball around for the power play. And then um, then you sub out your two openers and you bring in your two spin hitters for a while. And then when the seamers come back on, you bring your um, seam bowlers back on. That makes it a really tactical game. Uh, the speed of which that can be done, maybe you can only have two subs a game or three subs a game or whatever, because the speed of which that can be done will be a problem. Um, but there are many ways to make T20 cricket better. And that was my problem with what the Big Bash did. And it's also my problem with the 100 as well. Um, th- this is something that I've talked about with Trent Woodhill directly, which is like, why not just in the 100, instead of making 100 balls, just have 10 overs from one end and 10 overs from the other. Why are our fielders running from end to end, tiring themselves out because they're fielding from long on to long on, right? If you've got a great fielder, you want them to spend all of their energy on literally chasing a ball and catching it. And at the moment, they're changing ends. And the 100 didn't even solve that problem. It, it kept it. It, it, it minimised it, but it's still there. So I, I, don't, I don't understand these sorts of things. There are actual fixes that we can make that will make this sport good. And if these, these boards still want cool, um, you know, we can still give it a cool name, you know. Um, uh, you know, uh, whatever. <laughs> it's not that hard. Just put X in front of it and they'll be really happy. Um, but yeah, thank you very much for your question. No worries. Thanks, Jared. Cheers.
Yeah, yeah, it's here. Uh, there's no one else lined up, which means probably a bunch of people have asked questions and it hasn't come through. So if anyone else is out there and wants to ask a question, feel free. Oh, there you, you there? Yeah, Jared, can you hear me? Yeah, what's your question, mate? Yeah, just a follow-up from uh, Devdut's question. So uh, you talked about uh, subs being uh, used. So do you see a situation where uh, if subs are allowed, obviously? So you see a pinch hitter like Hardik Pandya who likes pace on the ball. Just going out in the power play and hitting it and retiring so if he's not out or something like that. Just a follow-up question. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if we're, if we're talking about maximizing how good T20 cricket could be, wouldn't it be great if you could do that? And then the, then the other team has the, 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 you know, they just go, okay, well, Hardik said we'll just play all of, all of our spinners. Let's see what he does now. Like, it's... That's the, the the great thing about T20 cricket is there's um, you have to make those decisions. It would force them, but it would also mean that Hardik would be doing what he is best at, right, more often than not. And I think that that is where I really want T20 cricket to go towards, which is players who are specialists in those positions doing what's better. I don't want Jai Richardson batting at seven, right? What, what, why would I want to see that, right? Why would I want to see, you know, some, uh, God, Chris Jordan batted at seven this season as well, didn't he? Why would I want to see that when we could have, we could have uh, Carlos Brathwaite batting at seven and we could have, um, uh, who else? Who else have we got? Uh, Darren Sammy at eight and um, who's, who's, a, who's a really good spin hitter, you know, like um, George Munsey at nine. And, you know, you could have all these different players throughout your lineup in that case and you could just, you know, have a couple of substitutions whenever you wanted to use them at a different time. And then you have the best players up against the best players. I think part of the problem with T20 cricket at the moment is we don't have that. Uh, thank you so much. And uh, I wanted to ask, how much do you believe in the bowler theory where captains choose only one type of a bowler? So if leg spinner is playing, they won't choose another leg spinner. Like if Yuvizyal is in the team for, for India, Rahul Chahar won't play because just because he's a leg spinner. So how much do you believe in that? Like, if a left-arm spinner is bowling, like India have Jadeja, who's going to bowl at the World Cup for them. Why not pick Aksha? Because in great, he is in great form right now. He is picking up wickets. So how much do you believe in that theory of captains trying to go in with just one kind of a bowler who does one job and they won't pick the other, even if it brings variation. Like Chahal bowls slow leg spins and uh, Chahar bowls fast leg spins. So there's a variation there. It's Yeah, I suppose what they don't want is to go up against... Uh, uh, a team that has a bunch of left-handers and then oh, and everyone hits them over deep mid-wicket every ball, right? So teams have gone match-up mad, I would say, and they don't always look at what their bowlers can do. They sometimes just go, wow, this team's got five left-handers, we can't bowl a leg spinner. Look, it's always been the case. I, always find, I find the whole thing bizarre. The minute Pakistan got more than like one left-arm seam bowler, people started going, maybe they've got too many left-arm seam bowlers. I mean, we've seen teams go in with like four right-arm seam bowlers before, right? Um, it's bizarre that when it's not a right-arm seam bowler, we think you can only have one of this. Uh, but if it is a right-arm seam bowler, you can have four or five of them. Um, it's a really, really odd way of looking at cricket. I would say with, with, with the wrist spinners, it really does, does depend probably on the matchups against the opposition. Um, we've seen, you know, I, I mean, Afghanistan could go in with what? One, two. Afghanistan could go in with two wrist spinners and or four wrist spinners, two leggies and two left arm wrist spinners if they wanted to. Um, uh, and they quite often on, on pitches that suit them, they do pick three and four spinners, don't they? Um, and, and they do it regularly and they don't have a problem with that. Uh, I think that where it becomes a problem is when the conditions aren't massively in favor of spin. And also it can be a problem at the death, uh, especially if you, if there is someone left at the crease, especially a set batter, that's when it gets really messy for spinners at the death. Um, so, uh, yeah, there's no reason why you can't pick two leg spinners. Uh, I was I worked for Melbourne Stars and we had Adam Zampa and Sandeep Lamachani. And I think even when Sandeep went away, I think we picked another local leg spinner um, for a few games as well. Um, there's, there's no reason why you can't have two leg spinners or three left arm um, spinners. The, the left arm finger spinners that you're talking about, that is, I think, a problem if you go up against a team of left-handers. Unless Akshar or Ravi is incredible against left-handers, and I'd have to check their numbers, but I wouldn't think they would be. Um, but unless they have a brilliant record against left-handers, like, say, someone like Mitchell Santner does, I really wouldn't want um, to go into a T20 game with two of them. Uh, that is a problem only because they can only spin it in one direction. But leg spinners, 
less worried about that because I could spin it in both directions. Thank you so much, Jared. No worries. Keshav, you there? Last question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's it's just about uh, this final today. Uh, you know, we have got two very different captains uh, reaching the final. Uh, of course, both of them have won World Cups, but, you know, with Dhoni, it's very instinctive sort of captaincy where the coach doesn't really interfere much. It's a captain-driven team. And then with Morton, we have very analysis-based team, you know, Nathan Lehman working with him very closely at England as well. So do you think the future belongs to this uh, sort of analysis-based uh, captaincy uh, especially in T20s or with Dhoni still having this sort of success. Uh, so it's it's to each his own probably. What's the future like? Well, here's one thing I'm going to tell you that you I think they're very similar captains. In, in fact, I think they're extraordinarily sim- similar captains in that they are both very level-headed people and they're both incredible pragmatists. And what they both try and do is put things in their advantage. And I think the difference is that Dhoni probably keeps more of that information in his head and Morgan likes to know that he's dotted the I's and, um, you know, crossed the T's. I actually think they're incredibly similar captains, which other people probably wouldn't think of. But if you look at the treatment of some of Dhoni's bowlers over the years and look at the treatment of Moen Ali and Liam Plunkett under Owen Morgan, I think you'll find that they're very, very similar. Um, And uh, what you're really talking about is the way that they... um, they implement that on the um, at, at at you know at the top level. You're always going to have people who are going to listen to more analysis and and other people who pick it up naturally. I mean, Don't Donny doesn't have to do what Owen Morgan does because Donny's a different person, and also Donny picks up a lot of that stuff naturally, right? It's um, he he has an eye that allows him to pick up those sorts of things and build relationships with bowlers, and he finds jobs for bowlers with teams. Owen Morgan does the same thing. The difference is that Owen Morgan talks to coaches and and, cap, and and analysts more. It's the same thing. It's just a slightly different method. Um, we're certainly going to have, the, you know, those kinds of leaders going forward. I think that if you had another captain like Dhoni, they would be allowed to do it. But realistically, unless you have the level of success that Dhoni is having, it, it would be silly not to get, in, not to get all that other information involved. Um, if you're losing, they, people are going to say, well, why weren't you listening to the analyst? Why weren't you listening to the coach? Why isn't this? Why, why do you think you know everything? Um, and there have probably been times where Donny has got things wrong because he hasn't listened to the analyst enough or, or the coach enough or, you know, even uh, other players in his team. Um, so I, don't, I really don't think they're that much different as captains. I think they have slightly different work methods to get to the similar results. Um, and, uh, and they basically, they, they both like role players they both try and put things slightly in their advantage every time they can, and they're both very calm. Um, uh, you know, uh, they're different kinds of people um, and different kinds of leaders, but in some ways very similar kinds of captains. It's just that one does homework and the other one is maybe a more naturally gifted student, if that makes sense. Just last point to follow up uh, with Dhoni. He's also captaining in his 300 T20 game today. Uh, what do you attribute his longevity to? I, I mean, see, there are a few records in cricket which we think probably might never be broken. Like, you know, Tendulkar playing 200 tests or Dhoni captaining in 300 T20s. So uh, what do you attribute his longevity as a captain to? Uh, I don't I don't know if, um, if Dhoni's record of that many captaincies won't be broken. I mean, how old's Karen Pollard? <laughs> Um, if Karen Pollard bowls, plays into his 40s, he might go past him. What's his longevity down to? Well, I mean, he's obviously a very natural, naturally gifted athlete. Um, I think that is, 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 it makes sense. He's also, like a lot of older players, they get to a point where they're very good. Chris Gale's done this as well, of basically limiting their weaknesses. So they don't do things. A lot of younger players, the reason they don't make as many runs as they should is because they don't want to believe that they can't do everything, so they keep trying to do everything. Whereas in truth, that's basically impossible. The older you get, sometimes you're just brilliant at, you know, oh, I can't face left arm seamers. So what I'm going to do is every time I'm on strike to a left arm seam, I'm just going to try and steal a single. And and so they get to that sort of level um, of their career. So Dhoni, uh, being a smart cricketer and as I said, Gail is certainly another one that I've noticed a similar pattern to. They basically work out what they can't do and they get off strike for that and they wait to be on strike for what they can do. Um, but yeah, the athleticism, I mean, he's 
He's never been built like someone who looks like he's that athletic, but I think we know that he's got a lot of, you know, uh, natural athleticism to him. So his body hasn't aged the way that maybe someone without that sort of level of athleticism would have. He also clearly still wants to play, whether it's a financial thing or he just likes the gameplay of cricket or he just loves the sport or just loves Chennai, whatever it is. He, he clearly loves to play the game. Not all cricketers do. And so certain cricketers get into their, you know, early 30s and they start thinking what's next i don't think that we've seen that necessarily with dhoni and he's an above average talent longevity not just as a player or, or an athlete but also captaincy because you know there's a common saying that every captain has a shelf life and then their ideas get old and then you have to move on but yeah, he, that, has, he has never moved on i mean that's a nonsense theory if we're being honest that's for limited captains who don't have a lot of ideas that's not that's not the case if you're a proper captain and you're growing with the game. And Dhoni has certainly always been one of those players. I, I find that I find that impossible to think that if you're a, if you're a captain who is evolving with the sport that you're playing, that you you would have a shelf life when it comes to strategy. It doesn't make any sense to me. You might have a shelf life in in terms of you might not be able to make as many emotional speeches um, after a few years if your teammates have heard them all. That that happens. We see that in coaching um, a lot. You might have a, a shelf life in that, oh, God, can't I just bat today? Can't I just keep? Do I have to do that? But if you actually enjoy captaincy and you enjoy all the things that come with it um, and you're evolving with the game, then you'll be a captain as long as you want to be. I mean, generally, you would have thought older people would have been better captains anyway because they've seen more situations and they have probably have more natural empathy. And as you become a father, you understand, you know, uh, younger players better and all these sorts of things that, that, that happen to you. So, yeah, I, I, you know, if you're good at that job, whether it be him or I suppose Graham Smith's another perfect example of someone who did it forever. Alan Board is another one. At, at a certain point to them, captaincy is no different than playing cricket right? It's the players who see it as an extra chore or see it as hard work that probably want to give it up. And that makes sense as well. I, you know, can certainly see that. So, um, uh, no, I don't, I, I don't see that as, uh, as, as something, I mean, that's the, no, no, nothing there is to say that MS Stoney is not remarkable, um, in his own way. Cause I think he's certainly, um, he's obviously <laughs> phenomenally talented batter, bowler and uh, batter, uh, bowler, well, occasional bowler, uh, but batter, wicket keeper, and um, captain, um, and you know, above average talents, of which he's been a way above average talent. You know, um, in all all of those uh, metrics, really. You know, why would he want to give them up while he's doing them well, unless he's just not enjoying it? You know, I mean, Brendan McCullum, I, I think, gave up the gloves partly because I don't think he enjoyed wicket keeping as much as he did batting, um, and also thought he could get more out of his batting by not wicket keeping anymore. You know, so you could see a similar situation where McCullum might be like, uh, sorry, where, where Dhoni might go, do you know what? The last couple of years, I don't want to focus on wicketkeeping or, or captaincy. Uh, I just want to, I just want to bat and do one of the others, which is, which is very possible. But thank you so much to everyone who sent your questions in on Patreon. Remember, you can support us on Patreon by going to Patreon Jared Kimber and there's all the different tiers there. Thank you very much to Manscaped. If you would like to shave your testicles in a safer way, Manscaped is the place for you. Put the code REDINCA in and get 20% off and free worldwide shipping. Thanks to Bodyline T-shirts and thank you to everyone who turned up in the Spotify green room. We've got a couple of good podcasts coming up for the World Cup and a bunch of videos if you're going to YouTube. So stay tuned, as they say. Thanks for listening. <laughs>